It's good to see everybody this morning. Let me invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible there in the slot in front of you. It's the black one. The brown one's a hymnal. The black one's a Bible. And on your bulletin, it tells you what page. It says 978 is where you'll be. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, uh, Ephesians, uh, I, I find a lot of times people come to church and, and, the, and they look just to kind of give you a little breakdown. Uh, the Bible's in, in two parts. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament uh, covers about mm, two-thirds of the book you have in your hand. Um, the New Testament is... Is, is the second half. That's when Christ came in the gospel and, and what we do with the gospel. And, and Ephesians is one of 13 letters written by the Apostle Paul and we find it towards the back. So you kind of see there in my Bible, it's a little further towards the back. So if you have a copy of the Bible like mine, it's on page 1054 is where you want to be. Um, but uh, if you're using your own, that's great. Hey, we love it that people um, use tablets and phones and everything for to, to catch the word of God. If you Want, if you're looking for a good Bible app, I've got two or three that I can uh, communicate or share with you, um, let you know about. Just catch me afterwards uh, because what you have in your pocket or in your purse, whatever, is an opportunity to carry the Word of God with you literally everywhere you go um, right here. So uh, if you're interested, I've got some resources I'd like to share with you on that. So here's where we are today. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verse 17 to 24, and, and we're continuing on what Paul's asking asking us to do in light of two things. One, the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. We looked at that last week or the last couple of weeks out of Psalm chapter 68 and what Paul quotes for us in chapter four, verse eight. And we're also looking at it in light of the fact that he has called us in chapter four, verse one, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we've been called. And today we're gonna kind of flesh that out a little bit more because it's not just a, oh yeah, I heard that and I can go. We want to walk through what that really means today, 2018, as people in America. I mean, look at it. Paul's writing not to Americans. Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus. He's writing to Greek-speaking uh, men and women. He's writing to people that didn't uh, put on a pair of pants and a shirt and all that. They probably wore some sort of tunic. I, don't, I wasn't there. I don't really know what they wore in those days, but they didn't have to deal with cell phones and social media and traffic and all this. So, so you think, well, how does it relate to me? Believe me, it does. So let's look together, starting in verse 17. If you're able, I'd like, if you're able to, I'd like to ask you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, looking at verse 17 to 24 uh, in Ephesians chapter four. Paul writes these words. Therefore, I say this, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. And the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluding from the life, of, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and impurity of the truth. Let's pray together.
God, that you would give us the spiritual strength and ability to take off the old and put on the new. That we would see ourselves as you have recreated us. That we would no longer see ourselves as just people in Atlanta in 21st century America, but that we would see ourselves as sons and daughters of the King and that we would live accordingly. God, use your spirit today to draw us to you, to draw the unrepentant heart to you, to receive Christ, to become that son or daughter of the King, to equip us to teach this world the good news of Jesus. God, we love you and we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're, we're kind of getting into some of the real reasons why I love the book of Ephesians so much. It's, it's, it's practical, but it's so deep theologically. It, it helps us feel good, but it also challenges us to, to live better. And when I say live better, I don't mean just change our outward behavior, but allow the renewing of our heart to burst forth into all that we do. And, and that's the challenge that's before us today. And Paul brings it to us in a command. So the kind of the structure you see there in your worship guide, the structure of the sermon today is we're gonna look at the command that he's given. We're gonna see why he's given this command. We're gonna give a, a little uh, understanding of what the command means for us. And then we're gonna apply the command because we've gotta always ask ourselves two questions of each passage of scripture. What does it mean? And why is it important for me to know this? Out of everything that God could have given me in scripture, in his holy word, why this and how is it going to affect me today, tomorrow, next month, next year, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? What is it? Because the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and therefore it is able to separate between and divide between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. So allow the word of God to pierce today that we could walk through this together and so let me back out just one second and ask you to do something for me right now if you are a Christian today if you are already in Christ you've professed faith in him you've been baptized and you know the Lord is your savior let me ask you to do this right now as we're starting pray and ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see how you can walk closer to him because of what his word says if you've never trusted Christ, I want you to listen very carefully because the life that I'm going to describe now is different than the life that you live. And it's, it's a life that God ordained for us to walk in together as believers in Christ. And let me appeal to you to know what God has done for you in sending Jesus to redeem you, to draw you into the fullness of what it means to know God to forgive you for your sins, to wash you, to make you pure, to set you in the court of the heavenlies now. Here we go, here's the command. Don't walk like society. Do not walk like society. Notice with me what he says in verse 17. Therefore, I say to you this, and I testify this in the Lord, you shall no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're looking at me. Now, Evan, you just told me a story. You told me the command was don't walk like society, and he uses the word live. 
Well, what Paul is describing here is your walk of life, the manner about that you go your day-to-day business. Does it look like the rest of the world or does it look like someone in the household of God? This is the call that Paul is making. The command here is not to walk like society. Now, you and I all are Gentiles. I've asked this question in here before, unless somebody did one of those ancestry kits, nobody raised their hands to tell me that you were ethnically Jewish. Now, if you were ethnically Jewish, you're not a Gentile, but the rest of us are Gentiles. And Paul's writing to first century Ephesus saying, look at the world around you. Look at how your neighbors interact with one another. Look at how they try to find hope and how they try to fill themselves and how they live for pleasure and how they live for today and how they engage this life for all that it is. And I'm asking you as a follower of Christ not to do that. Look at you, 21st century American. When all the pleasures of society are just, you're drowning in them. We all are. If you don't believe me that we're drowning in the pleasures of society, I know that most of you are going to hit a restaurant after church today. That's different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world, if you get a bowl of rice, you're doing pretty good. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you, I'm hitting a restaurant after church today. We've got a 1.30 thing and we got a new member's class at two o'clock. It's a pretty busy day. I don't have time to drive all the way to the house and scrounge for a bowl of rice and get back up here. So I'm doing the same. That's one of the pleasures of society, right? Most of you carry one of these things around, right? How, how, how many likes and mentions and comments and all that good stuff? How many shares do our social media posts get? whether you're on Instachat or Snapgram, whatever they're called these days, all of these different social media platforms, we we use them and we're walking in the way of society. We measure ourselves against what the other person has and what the next person does or what they didn't do. And we're all gonna be looking on social media, everybody's vacation. Oh, I wish I could have gone on vacation like that. Oh, I wish I could have done, I can't do this. And parents are gonna feel bad because they can't do this for their kids or do that for their kids. And all of this is building up to this compare and contrast of who we are as people because we're trying to, compare the way society does we try to find our identity in the fulfillment of what society offers and and Paul says don't walk that way don't don't walk that way because everything that the world around you is doing look at what he says it's futile it's futile that means it's pointless That, that means it's all going to vanish or, or as, or as uh, uh, Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, look, I've lived the good life. I've drank the finest wine. I've had the 700 watts. I've done all this and it's all worthless, meaningless, futile vanity. Why? Because it all passes away in this world. And, and look at the characteristics it gives. It says in verse 18, These people are darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Characteristics, darkness and ignorance. Dark and ignorant. Now, if I were to tell you that the way that you are walking right now is the way of ignorance, most of you'd be like, yeah, whatever. That's what the world is doing. It is pressing ignorance upon us and it is drowning us in ignorance and futility. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean stupid or dumb like we don't know what two plus two is. 
I mean, it's ignorant because it doesn't know what life was designed to be. It doesn't, people around us, society doesn't understand the full. Do you know that the biggest question that religion tries to answer is what is the purpose of this life? I mean, think about it. You've seen it. You've even seen it in commercials and whatnot. So just picture you've got, you've got this high mountain top out in, out in Asia somewhere. And you've got this guy that's kind of climbing up to get the mountain. And he gets up there and he sees this dude sitting here like, I'm probably not going to be able to get up from this. But he's sitting up there and he's like, ah. And he sits there. And, and, and the guy climbs to the top of the mountain. And he gets there to this guy that's got this really long beard. And he's you know, wearing these robes or whatever. And he's sitting there like this on these mountains. And what's the question he always asks? What's the meaning of life? The question I want to ask is, why are you sitting up here? It gets cold in the winter. Amen. Yeah, amen, that's right. It, that, that's, that's the question. Did you know that most people, the reason they're posting time and time and time again on social media, the reason they're running the rat race of traffic in Atlanta and everything else is because they're trying to find meaning in something in this world. The society around us is drowning in meaninglessness because it is ignorant. It does not know that God created them to show them his power, his splendor, his love, his grace, his mercy, and to demonstrate the fullness of all that it is to know who God is. And Paul says, you're walking around chasing after these pipe dreams of society. You're living the way they are and they are ignorant and in darkness because they don't know who God is. And, and in doing so, it results in a hard heart. Notice he goes on and says, the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. And from that hard heart, it says in verse nine, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and 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 more. And they never get what they're looking for. They never get it. One of the saddest lyrics I've ever heard in a song came from a band called U2 out of Ireland. And, and the clip of the song says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some of you are gonna go to work this week. Some of you, you're out of school, so you're not gonna go to school. We're gonna walk into places during missions week this week. And there are people that are searching for something and they don't know what it is. So they're trying to fill it with acceptance they're thinking that it's because dad wasn't in the home. They're thinking that it's because mom didn't affirm them. They're thinking that it's because they weren't the popular kid in school. They're thinking it's because they don't have money. They're thinking that it's because they're not pretty enough or because they weigh too much. They're thinking it's all of these things. And so they're filling this void with whatever they can. Look at what he's describing. He's describing a junkie. And your junk might not be heroin, but it might be acceptance in social media. It might be feeling lonely. It might be that you're trying to fill it with everything else. You notice it says, with a desire for more and more. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that's been addicted to illicit drugs or not. But time and time again, the story that keeps coming is, I'm trying to catch that initial high. It gets in the system and it takes them to this point, to this feeling, and they become addicted because they're trying to get back to that feeling and it never, ever happens. 
And so they desire more because they're trying to get back there. And they desire more and they try to get back there. And they desire more and they try to get back there. And it's the same with sex and it's the same with social media. It's the same with everything we try to fill our lives. And Paul says, stop living that way. Don't walk according to society. Your heart starts becoming hard. Now, if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, the only option you have to not walk like society is to turn your life over to Christ because nothing else in this world is going to satisfy what you're striving for. It's gonna leave you empty. It's gonna leave you disappointed. It's gonna leave you feeling that there's gotta be something more. There is something more. It's the God who made you. It's the God who loves you. It's the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to take you out of where you are right now and place within you his Holy Spirit to redeem you, to forgive you, to set you on probably one of the hardest journeys of your life, which is walking in Christ but it's the most rewarding and the most fulfilling. Doesn't mean all your problems are gonna go away. It means you got somebody else taking care of your problems for you. If you're in Christ, your option is to continue walking the way of society and allow your heart to get hardened, to get bitter, to get calloused, as you resist the leading of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. To, to resist the conviction that he brings to you for stepping out of the purpose and the plan and the will and the pattern of life that God has for you. What is that? You are his adopted son. He wants to give you all that the kingdom has, but you're quelching and you're, you're quieting and you're pushing it away and you're stepping back and you're not listening and you're not listening and your heart's hardened. And you find yourself, as Luke describes and Jesus describes in Luke 11, in such a terrible shape that you're almost unrecognizable. The most miserable person in the world is a follower of Christ who quit following. So what do we do? Why, why do we have this command? What is the basis of it? Look at what he says in verse 20. But this is not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The, the reason for the command is you know better. If you're in Christ, you know, and all the mamas and daddies in the room said, I've used that before. You talk to your kid. It's always when your kid does something that's a little bit embarrassing, uh, maybe disobedient, but always embarrassing. Then you snap, you know better than that. You're, you're looking for your kids. You're at Walmart and your kid's hiding in a clothing rack. My kids haven't really done this, but I did it one time. Um, you're hiding in a clothing rack and your mom's running around the store like a nuts woman and she's going crazy. And people are like, what in the world? She's your friend again. You come popping out. Ha, 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 look at me. I was hiding in the clothes. And she jerks you by the ear and says, you know better than that. When, when, when you're out with your kids at a restaurant, it, this always happens with kids. Because kids know how to observe, but they don't know how to filter what they've observed, right? That's one of the benefits of getting older. You, you, well, there's a certain range of getting older where you learn how to observe and to filter, and then you get to a certain age, you're like, I don't care, I'm just gonna let it go. It's like, that's my right, I earned that. 
kid always points out something. You know better than that. Don't do that. That's what Paul's doing here. As children of God, we know better. As those that have been told, look at what he says there. He says, it's not how you came to know him, assuming, and Paul's making a huge assumption here, because remember what happened to Paul in the, in the, in the city of Ephesus. We go back to Acts chapter 18. Paul gets there and he starts talking to people who claim Christ, talking to them about the Holy Spirit, and they're like, well, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, what bapti- baptism did you get? Oh, well, it was the baptism of John, John the baptizer. It was about the one to come, not the one who has come, and has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And so Paul has to start back and spends three years rebuilding the foundation so that the church in Ephesus can grow and know exactly what's going on when it comes to godliness and Christ's likeness. And so, so Paul says, I'm just assuming at this point that you truly know the full gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has saved you because he called you to be his child and he determined before he ever made you that this is what he would do. And so he says, I'm assuming that you know this. And look at what he says. I'm assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him. Wait a second. That's true for you today. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's because, not because some preacher preached a sermon, not because some mom or dad knelt beside your bed or some Sunday school teacher was great. It's because you were taught in your heart by Christ himself. You're like, The stained glass window talking to me? No, no. This is the word of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the eternal word by the power of the spirit of God speaks to you. And it says there is that where the truth is in Jesus. You want truth, you run to Christ. You want to know what's real, you run to the savior, to Jesus, to him who laid down his life for you that's the truth that's the fullness of all that God had for you and for me and before time began Ephesians 1 tells us in the beginning before time began before the foundation of the world God predestined us for adoption as sons we should know better we should know better And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, wait a second, Evan. I've had this new wave of church stuff coming in and telling me, no, it's it's, it's about relationships. Christianity is not just a big old set of rules. Well, it's both and. It's a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, but you all know that relationships have rules, right? I've got this wonderful relationship with my wife. I love my wife more than anything. And there are rules that govern our relationship. Rules such as, I'm not going to go on dates with other women. I'm just not. She didn't make that rule. I made that rule. She likes that rule. But it's a rule that governs our, you know what other rule we have? She's not going to go on a date with another man. Unless she takes Braden out for a mommy son date or Caleb. That's it period. 
We've got rules about how we will not speak to one another. We've got rules about how we will and will not use our, our finances. We've got a great relationship, but there are rules that govern that relationship. God has a relationship with you through Christ Jesus, and he therefore has the authority as your creator, your sustainer, and your redeemer in this relationship to impose a set of rules that will govern how we live together. And so he says, we're going to not walk like society. And here's what the command means. Look with me, if you will, in verse 22. Command one, to take off the former life, the old self. This is the only time you're going to really hear me say this. The way you lived before Christ is okay. It's okay that you did those things. It's okay that you took that or did that or said that or thought that or felt that because you didn't know better. You you didn't know who Christ was. You didn't know most likely that it was sin. You might've had a really good mom and dad that said, yeah, we don't really do those. God doesn't like those things. Those are sins. But you didn't know Christ, so you didn't know what to obey God truly meant. But Paul says here, but you gotta take that off. That's the former self. That's the old way. And so he also says over in Romans chapter six, jot this down in your margin real quick or inside of your worship guide. Romans six, start, uh, in verse three, he says this. He says, um, um, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. See, the old self was buried. The old self was taken under. The old self is dead and gone because you've been made new. Just take off the old self. Years ago, there used to be a TV show uh, called What Not, what, what Not to Wear. And if you were on the TV show, it, it was like on E or A&E or Bravo or one of those, one of those chick channels is what um, I always called them because all the shows on there were for girls. Like, there's never any man shows on there. But okay, so, so you, don't, you didn't want to be on What Not to Wear because the way you got onto What Not to Wear was your friends or your family realized that your wardrobe was atrociously bad. And so they nominated you and sent pictures of you and all the clothes that you're walking around thinking, hey, I'm stylish, I'm cool, look at me. Um, kind of like what I do. And so they go in there and they send you and if they select you, they take you to New York and they start parading all of your clothes to how hideously tacky and bad your clothes are. And I say, you can't wear this anymore. These are bad Paul said, you're dressing yourself in the way of the world, but you've got to take that wardrobe off. You've got to take those clothes off and do away with them. He says that they are corrupted by deceitful desires. Deceitful desires that are coming from a hard, calloused heart that are seeking more and more of the impurity and the promiscuity of this world. He says, you're not the old you you're not the old you if if you're not the old you don't walk like the old you don't live like the old you it's kind of like beverly hillbillies you remember the story about a man named jed worked all day trying to keep his family fed 
Now, what happened with Beverly Hillbillies is once he struck it rich with the oil, he didn't stay in Arkansas living in a shanty shed over here. He moved to Beverly Hills. He bought a mansion and, and he blew all his money. And we laughed. But he didn't say, you know what? I've got all the wealth in the world. I'm gonna stay right here in my two-room cabin in Arkansas living off the land. He said, I'm a new person now. I can do it. You are a new person because you have the riches and the wealth spiritually in God through Christ Jesus to live a wholly different life. A life that doesn't look like the world. And he goes on, he says, but not only is it not that you're not the new, the old you, you're not who you used to be. The command is to think biblically. Look at what he says in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To think biblically. See, see, Paul is really understanding something for us today that he wants us to understand along with him. That the war that Satan wages aims for your heart but takes place in your mind. See, if you're in Christ, he can't have your heart. He can't. Because your heart has been made new. Ezekiel says that you're going to be, have that heart of stone taken away and a heart of flesh is going to be given to you. Why? Because that's where the Spirit of God dwells in you as a follower of Christ. It's got the most powerful tenant already in there. And so Satan aims for the heart but wages war on the mind. That. That's why, as we'll see when we get over to Ephesians chapter 6, when he starts describing um, for us the, uh, as starts describing for us um, the, the, the spiritual warfare and the armor of God. That's why he says that we should, sorry, I've got a note here that I've got to scoot around there. Um, he says there that we should by ourselves have the helmet of what? Salvation. The helmet of salvation. Protecting our head, protecting our brain, protecting our thought process, the salvation that we have been given. Therefore, we are thinking biblically about ourselves, about the world, and about our Redeemer. Now, how are you going to think biblically if the only time you open the Bible is right now, in this room, together? How are you going to think biblically if you're not surrounding yourself on a regular basis with brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you in what the word of God says? This is why I continue to come back to our Sunday Bible studies. And I would rather you, if you're giving an hour of a week to church, to give it in there than in here. Because as I said last week, I can only go so deep and touch on so many issues, but someone can come alongside you in a Sunday Bible study and you can be encouraged and you can be discipled and you can grow. And the next step from there is to find a man, if you're a man or a woman, if you're a woman, to work through passages of the Bible together, to encourage one another, to learn to think biblically. This is renewing the spirit of our minds as we start to process as the word of God has laid for us. So if you need a Bible app, I'll give you a Bible app. If you need a Bible reading plan, I'll give you a Bible reading plan. If you need someone to help hold you accountable, we can set you up with some people to hold you accountable and to encourage you to think biblically by ingesting biblically. 
And we do all this because we are to put on the new self. It says in verse 24, put on the new self. The one created according to God's likeness. Wait a second. I've heard you preach before. And you talk about us being image bearers of God. You talk about how God made us in his own image, his own likeness. Yes, but then sin happened and something was broken and something was lost. And it takes the second birth, the birth through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be born again and therefore spiritually in the likeness of God. We were created to know God and to relate to God, but we are recreated to engage with God on a spiritual level. And he says, put on this new self. Notice, no, notice what he says here. He says, first, take off the former ways. Think differently about who you are and who Christ is and who the world is. And then put on something new. So let's go back to that TV show we were talking about a little while ago. What not to wear. They get you out there and they show you how hideously tacky all of your clothes are. And they throw them all away. But you know what happens when you throw all your clothes away? You're naked. And we don't want to be. We want to be clothed. Now, rather than leaving you naked and alone, they take you and they clothe you in something that is more fashionable, more trendy. They, if, you're a, if you're a lady on there, I think, all the, I think it's all ladies that are on this show because it's on one of those chick channels where every show on there is for ladies and by ladies, about ladies. And so they give you a new makeup and they give you a new hairdo and they give you a $5,000 wardrobe at some of the highest designers in, in New York and all of these great things. Why? Because you've got to be reclothed. Paul's not telling you to take off and start thinking about things a little differently and just stay there. He's, there's an action that you and I must physically do, must spiritually do, must take on, and that is to put on the new. We have to do it. God doesn't force it on you. It's not like playing with like Barbie dolls or Lego figures where you can take their clothes off and put their clothes back on the way that you want to and see if it. Addison has dolls all over her room and one of her favorite things to do is to change their clothes. She does it. They're dolls. They can't do it. But God in his sovereignty made us as his free moral agents with the ability to choose to the contrary. So that means that you can sit here today and hear me tell you to take off the old and put on the new and you can walk out of here without putting on the new. And in doing so, return to a calloused heart. In doing so, not listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. I'm not the voice of the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God and the Word of God says, take off the old, put on the new. Take off what is disgusting and what is, what is corrupted and put on what is new and what is pure. So what does that mean for you today? Because there's always questions about, okay, how do we do this? What, what, what does this look like? You'll notice there at the bottom, it's just kind of blank underneath there because we've got about 10 things we're gonna run through real quick. I know you're sitting there thinking, Evan, 10 more points? Good grief, how long is this thing gonna last? No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll be brief. But there are 10 ways that this command will apply to us. And I left it blank so that wherever you are, this isn't a one size fits all. The gospel is, but the application of the gospel to your heart, to your life is as individual as you are because God is working in you and in all of us together. 
So, so maybe putting, taking off the old and putting on the new has to do with your time. How you spend your time. Having your time redeemed and reclaimed. Having your time transformed because we're all prone to use our time the way the rest of the world uses our time. To make money, to have stuff, to be on social media. You know, it's funny to me. I can talk about thinking biblically and having time to, to, to be in the Bible and somebody else say, man, I just don't have time to read the Bible. But like they're posting like every 10 minutes on Facebook about something. You've got time for what you want. Oh, there's not enough time in the day. Guess who made the day? God. Guess who determined how many hours we're going to be in that day? God. Guess who doesn't make mistakes? God. So if there's not enough time in the day, it's not because God made the day too short. It's because you've not prioritized your day and you've not managed your time. And most of us are using our time for the pleasures of the world rather than the pleasure of God. Maybe the step for you is finding ways to serve, to, to, to read the word of God, to use your time for his glory. What about your eyes? We're such a visual society. We see so many things. We ingest so much through our eyes. Most of us would not even realize that the, the amount of pornographic material that a seven-year-old in America right now, excuse me, I'm saying right now, 27 years ago in 1991, the amount of pornographic material that a seven-year-old would see in just a week of watching regular TV, not the channels you gotta pay for, regular, pay extra for, the regular TV is more than most of your grandparents would have watched in their entire life. And we don't know it because we've become so inoculated because it's just what's on TV, it's just what's out there. It's just the system and the pattern of the world. Maybe our eyes would be better served if we put, took off the old and put on the new and saw what was godly and saw what was clean and saw what was pure by looking through things biblically. What about your history? I'm not asking you to tell me your history. But that's a hang up for a lot of us. Evan, you're telling me all these things about God, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You come to faith in Christ and you know Christ Jesus has forgiven you and has saved you, but you're still clinging to some past mistake, some past sin, some past event, some past issue, and you're hanging on to it and you're saying, there's no way that God can use me. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Your history has been, if you're in Christ, has been wiped clean. You've been made new. Your history has passed through the blood of Christ. It has been redeemed. So live like it's been redeemed. You remember he ascended on high, took the captives captive and gave gifts. Why? Because he is the victor. We live in his victory. So live in his victory with your history. What about your heart? Oh man, we're going we're to touch some, touch some big ones here. 
did you know that the reason you respond to things the way you do is not because of your mouth or your mind, but because of your heart? Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what you say is actually what's going on in your heart. The way you treat others is actually what's going on in your heart. Now, if you've come to faith in Christ, you've been given a new heart, but some people still respond with the old heart. Now, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go mom on you and say, would you be doing that if Jesus was right here? Now, I'm not gonna go that way on you. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're in Christ, Jesus is there. You know, we teach our kids, we talk to our kids about inviting Jesus in your heart. And there's, there's been an ongoing debate in theological circles about whether that's the right proper terminology to, to use. Now, here's what I know. Ephesians chapter three told us that Christ dwells in our heart through faith. He tabernacled among us and now he tabernacles in us. And the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that heart look like? What about your mouth? Some of us got a little sailor mouth on us, right? Sorry if you were in the Navy. I'm sorry. Not, not trying to throw you under the bus or under the ship or whatever would be there. But some of us speak with such vulgarity. Some of us do not use our words to bless, but we use them rather to curse. And the book of James says, that, brothers, this shouldn't be so. You should be able to praise God and curse man with the same. Why? Because we've been made in the image of God. So we see the value in people as image bearers and we want to speak encouragement and want to use our mouths to praise God and to lift up people to see his glory. What about our mind? See, remember we're talking about thinking biblically here? Sometimes that's harder to do. I should be real with you. I've struggled with it. Thinking biblically all the time, not letting what encroaches around us in the world to impose itself on our mind. That's what Paul says over in the book of Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. There was a time in my life a few years ago where, where I was battling some depression and my wife gave me this verse. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy. You know how, how transforming the word of God is in your mind when you apply the word of God to your mind because it's already in your heart to say that it doesn't matter what happened or what's happening. I know what's true and my mind will go to truth. We've got to know the word of God. Maybe your step, maybe this command applies to you because you've got it built up in your mind that this is and this isn't and that's then. They don't like you and you've got to have this, you've got to come back to the renewing of your mind in Christ. Maybe money. Maybe money, 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 money. Money, you know the song. It's all about the money. Show me the money. We go money. We work for money. We do. Did you realize that I believe that money is one of the things that Paul talks about in this passage of scripture? Think of me for a second. 
no longer lives as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are dark in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of their hardness of hearts. They become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. This world is telling you every day that you've got to have more and 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 more money. So much so that Jesus tells us a parable in Luke chapter 16 about a man that had so much money, so much stuff that his barn was full and he decided, you know what, I'm going to build a bigger barn because I'm so awesome, I have so much. And so he built that bigger barn and Jesus said that the Lord said to him, you fool, tonight your very life is demanded of you. We strive for money. We serve money. Our lives are dictated by money. How much do we have? What can we do with what we have? How can we get more? And the Bible never says you shouldn't have money. The Bible never says that you shouldn't make money. The Bible says that you, you need to make money. If you don't work, you don't eat is what the Bible says. But it also says you can't serve God and wealth. And some of us have, have run so far after George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and well, that's where I run. Some of you run after Jackson, and some of you run after Benjamin. Some of you, I don't even know who's past that, but some of you run after those guys. Because it's all about the status. It's all about how many platinum club cards and checking accounts and all this you can have. Meanwhile... We, the most wealthy country in the world, the most wealthy denomination of churches outside of the Catholic church in the world, Southern Baptists have had to pull missionaries off the field from reaching the lost because there's no money to send them. It's a travesty. I'm convinced that if every member of every church would tithe according to as God has given them and their church, Southern Baptist Church, would tithe 10% to the cooperative program, we would have more money than we had missionaries to send to reach the lost. What about worship? Worship's a hard issue. And really all of these things can be categorized under worship. And I'm not talking about, you know, when you get in here at 11 o'clock and we sing songs and we pray and we read scripture and we have a message. I'm, I'm talking about the way that we worship together. We are worshipers. We are created to worship, but we were created to worship God. Sin interfered and therefore we worship stuff. Maybe the step for you in applying the command is to... Train your family by training yourself not to worship stuff. Video games, sports, vehicles, clothes, friends, acceptance, all of these, all this stuff. And worship God. Worship the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, God Almighty, who rescued us, redeemed us, and made us his child. Worship him. And what happens is that will then transform your marriage. If you're married, your marriage will be renewed because you are now seeking God together. Not only that, if you have children that are still in the home, it will transform your children and their perception of what worship is truly about and how mom and dad live according to the following of God's word versus how mom and dad live according to following the world around them. 
This morning, let me ask you, what are you following? What, what is your walk of life? Does it look more like 21st century America or more like a 21st century American follower of Christ? Christ. 